Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for opportunity to look now at your word. We pray that we would see uh, in Jeremiah's struggles and in your answers to him and in our Lord Jesus Christ that you would help us, you'd strengthen us to, to persevere. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A while ago I was talking to a bloke, uh, let's call him Simon, because that's his name. Uh, Simon uh, had been a Christian, quite involved in his church, but when I spoke with him, Simon had given up his faith. I asked him, why did you do it? Why did you stop being a Christian? And he said, I just got so sick of it. Whenever I was with my mates, I felt like I couldn't join in, couldn't drink with them, couldn't party with them. I felt lonely, I felt isolated. And I felt constant pressure. The idea that everyone was going to hell. The idea that I have to tell them about Jesus. I had spoken to my friends, they weren't interested, but I always felt, constantly felt guilty if I wasn't hassling them all the time, which just made them angry, which made me feel even more isolated. He said, you know what? He said, I feel so much better since I stopped being a Christian. I feel like I finally have friends. I feel like I can finally just be friends with people without having to worry about their eternal destiny and having to hassle them all the time. He said, it's such a relief. Another time, I was talking to a different man. We'll call him Bob. This time I'm protecting the guilty. Uh, Bob was a Christian, is a Christian, I think a strong Christian in many ways. But i tell you what, in this conversation and numerous other conversations, Bob was angry He went on and on about the state of the world. He whinged about the Muslims. He whinged about the younger generation. He whinged about the atheists. Uh, I remember it vividly. He said this with what seemed like glee in his voice. He said, Jesus is coming back and they're all going to get it in the neck. Can't be hard to be a Christian, can't it? There is pressure, pressure to live differently from other people. It can be a bit isolating. There is pressure to keep on talking about Jesus even when people don't like it. And it can make us just want it all to stop. It can make us just wish it was all over. Now, most of us aren't tempted to throw in the towel, I don't think, like, uh, like Simon did. I don't think we're tempted so much to give up as Christians. We know there's way too much at stake to stop relying on Jesus. But we are tempted to to stop struggling, to stop struggling to be different, to stop worrying about uh, uh, being different from the people around us, to, to stop talking about Jesus. Maybe we can start to resent God who would make us live differently and keep talking. Or maybe we can start to resent the people around us, like Bob. We can start to get angry with all the people who won't listen. Maybe we long for Jesus to come and judge because we are sick to death of dealing with stubborn people who won't listen and think we're idiots. Well, as we come into chapter 15 of uh, this book of Jeremiah, that's pretty much how Jeremiah is feeling. He is sick to death of being a prophet. He's sick of the pressure. He's sick of the, 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 has, the hassle. He, he's sick of stubborn people who won't listen to him. We don't know how long he's been preaching for, but we do know he preached for a total of 40 years. Do you remember that back in chapter 1, verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 2? 40 years he preached. Can you imagine that? I mean, 
I'm getting sick and tired of all this judgment in Jeremiah. It's been five weeks. Jeremiah preached God's judgment onto, onto Judah for 40 years, and for at least the first 30 years, nothing happened. What he said did not come true. And meanwhile, as we're going to see in this passage, Jeremiah had to make some serious sacrifices. So here we are, chapter 15. Jeremiah's had enough. He starts off by wishing he'd never been born. Verse 10, Jeremiah says, Everyone hates me. I've done nothing against them, but they all hate me. I wish my mum had never had me. Chapter 15 and verse 10, have a look with me. Chapter 15, verse 10. Alas, my mother, that you gave me birth, a man with whom the whole land strives and contends. I have neither lent nor borrowed, yet everyone curses me. God replies to Jeremiah, and he says exactly the same thing he said back in chapter 1, back when Jeremiah was called and didn't want to do the job. God reiterates his promise. He says, I will rescue you, and the judgment that you are prophesying will come. Verse 11, the Lord said, Surely I will deliver you for a good purpose. Surely I will make your enemies plead with you in times of disaster and times of distress. Your wealth, that is Judah's wealth, your wealth and your treasures, I will give as plunder without charge because of all your sins throughout your country. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know, for my anger will kindle a fire that will burn against you. God will rescue Judah and judgment will come. But Jeremiah has heard this before. And so he says, well, that's what you say, God. But it sure doesn't look like it. It sure doesn't feel like it to me. Jeremiah says, you know what, God? I say the time for judgment is now. I've had enough. Time to avenge. Verse 15. You understand, O Lord, remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. And Jeremiah says, I've been prophesying for a long time now. I've made a lot of sacrifices and I haven't whinged. Joyfully I've made these sacrifices. I gobble down your word and meanwhile there is no sign of judgment and I'm having a terrible time. Jeremiah says to God, he says, you're not going to let me down, are you? You're not going to be like a, a brook or a spring that, that promises water but turns out to be dry. Verse 16. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unending? And my wound, grievous and incurable, will you be to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? Jeremiah's not sure if he can trust God. But that's tricky ground, isn't it? God doesn't like it when people don't trust him. And so he says to Jeremiah, just, just hang on, buddy. You better make sure that you're right with me. You yourself need to repent. God says, you, you keep saying what I tell you and don't become like the sinful people around you. They need to turn to you, not you to them. God says, I am with you. I will save you. What you need to do is press on. Verse 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you'll be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. 
I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue you and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the cruel. In chapter 16, God reiterates the judgment that is coming onto the Jews. He says to Jeremiah, verse 1, don't marry or have children, because he says, I'm going to kill all the people in this land. He says, verse 5, he says, don't go to funerals. I've got no sympathy for them anymore. He says, verse 8, don't go to parties. Party time is over. He says to Jeremiah, keep warning them. And if they ask you why judgment is coming, this is verses 10 to 13, tell them it's because of their sin and idolatry. God says a day is coming when I'll restore them, but it's not now. Now is judgment day. Uh, then the next section, chapter 16, verse 20, through to chapter 17, verse 11, 16, 20, through to 17, 11, God talks again about how Israel are full of sin. Uh, just a few little highlights. Chapter 17, verse 2, you can see they trust idols instead of God. Chapter 17, verse 5, you can see they're trusting people instead of God. Their hearts are so deceptive. Uh, look at this famous verse from chapter 17, verse 9, 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Israel are bursting with sin. There's no sign of repentance. Judgment is coming. But again, Jeremiah's heard it all before. He's been preaching this for years, for decades. And so he says to God, well, that's what you keep saying. That's what I keep saying. But it's not happening. The people are going fine. No sign of judgment the only one who's getting any judgment is me. I'm in constant trouble. Jeremiah says, I tell you what, if it really is going to happen, I want it now. I'm sick of telling people your judgment is coming and then it doesn't come. Pick it up in chapter 17, verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. They keep, they keep saying to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I haven't run away from being your shepherd. You know, I haven't desired the day of despair. He doesn't want judgment to come on them. What passes my lips is open before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my refuge in the day of disaster. Let my persecutors be put to shame, but keep me from shame. Let them be terrified, but keep me from terror. Bring on them the day of disaster. Destroy them with double destruction. Jeremiah wants judgment now because he's sick of it. But Jeremiah isn't God. And, and God's not going to have a bar of this. So in verses 19 to 27, without particularly responding to Jeremiah, he says, tell you what, I want you to go out, preach judgment on the Jews, uh, uh, preach a message about how they won't keep the Sabbath, and I want you to give them the opportunity to change their ways. I want you to say, this is in verses 24 to 26, verses 24 to 26, I want you to say that if you do what God says, you won't be destroyed. And it's at this point that God has an object lesson, uh, not just for the Jews, but also for Jeremiah. An object lesson that really is, I think, the very centre of this whole passage. God tells Jeremiah to go and watch a potter. And the point is this, like a potter, God can do what he wants with Israel. No one can tell God what to do. Now, not the Jews. They can't say, well, you made promises to our forefathers, therefore you can't judge us now. No, God wants to judge them. They belong to him. He can judge them. But it's not just the Jews. Jeremiah can't tell God what to do either. God is the potter. People are the clay. If God wants to judge, God has that right. 
If God wants to save people, he has that right. If God wants to save people that he was going to judge, he has that right. If God wants to judge people that he was going to save, he has that right. It's not up to Jeremiah to tell God what to do. It's not up to Jeremiah to tell God when to do it. God is the boss. What is up to Jeremiah is to shut up and do what he's told. Chapter 18 and verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned of repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good that I had intended to do for it. God reserves the right to do what he wants, when he wants. Not not when the Jews think he can, not when Jeremiah thinks he should, when he thinks he should. And so, once again, God sends Jeremiah out. From 18 to 11 to the end of the chapter, he tells him to announce judgment again. Then in chapter 19, God tells Jeremiah to use a vivid object lesson. He has to get a pot and smash it. He has to say... That's what God's going to do to you. Now look at chapter 19, verse 10 with me. Chapter 19, verse 10. Then break the jar while those who go with you are watching and say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed and cannot be repaired. So Jeremiah goes, he preaches God's judgment, he smashes the pot, smashes it to smithereens, says God's going to do that to you and you know what happens? You guessed it, nothing. Nothing happens. No judgment comes. Meanwhile, Jeremiah gets beaten up and put into stocks. Uh, Do do you know what stocks are? Here's here's a picture of some stocks. (laughs) That's a better one than I I did. Warren always comes up with something better. Um, It doesn't look like fun to me. You are stuck in there. (laughs) Um, You're stuck in there. And everyone who walks past laughs at you or spits on you or throws rotten tomatoes at you. Chapter 20 and verse 1. When the priest Pashur, son of Emma, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Well, as you can imagine, this is really testing Jeremiah's patience. Uh, It is like God is playing with him, torturing him. He he constantly looks like a fool. Everyone hates him. And so he says, God, I'm not impressed. But he says, the worst thing about it, though, is I can't stop. I I speak, it brings me nothing but trouble. I try not to speak, and it's like I'm going to explode. If I try to keep God's word in, I'll burst. Verse 7. O Lord, chapter 20 and verse 7, you deceived me and I was deceived. 
You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I'll not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He can't stop telling people. But it's not easy. It means constant persecution, constant pain. And so he says again, God, if you're going to do it, just do it now. Verse 12. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I've committed my cause. Jeremiah says, all right, I admit you saved me from the stocks. I praise you for that. I'm still going. Verse 13, 2013. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He, he rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. You did save me, he says, but honestly, I've had it. I can't take it anymore. I seriously wish I'd never been born. Verse 14. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb, with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? And that, friends, is the end of the section. That's where it ends, this dialogue between Jeremiah and God. It finishes where it started. Jeremiah started off saying he wished he'd never been born, and that's where it finishes. God doesn't respond. He's got nothing more to say to Jeremiah than he's already said. Okay, so it was long to work all the way through, but... I've I got to say, this passage really speaks to me, don't you reckon? I, I get where Jeremiah is at here in these chapters. D don't you? It's not just Jeremiah who feels this, this way, is it? it? Or just, you know, Simon or Bob, the people I was talking about at the beginning. I, I mean, I don't suffer as a Christian anywhere near as much as Jeremiah suffered. I didn't have to give up marriage or children. I still get to go to funerals and parties. And, uh, never been beaten up. Never been put into stocks for preaching. No rotten tomatoes so far in my ministry. I face very little persecution for being a Christian, but still I get how he's feeling. I sometimes feel the same. I feel like it is just a constant pressure. Like everyone is watching. I have to be so careful about how I act, so careful about what I say. I can't do the things that, that people around me are doing does make me feel a bit isolated from family, isolated from some friends. And I've got to say, I just find it overwhelming, the idea that the vast majority of people around us are going to hell. That's just, that is overwhelming, isn't it? I'm, I'm constantly feeling guilty that I'm not braver about telling them about Jesus. And yet I, I hate the conflict that comes with telling people about Jesus. I hate that people think I'm some kind of fruitcake and, and don't see any evidence that it's true. I feel responsible for people in our church when, when someone's going the wrong way. I feel like I need to say something, but I hate the awkwardness and the conflict that comes with that. Now, I don't often wish that I'd never been born. I've never cursed the, my, the, the person that announced my birth or anything like that. But I tell you what, I have tried to give God a bit of helpful advice at times. 
Like, God, now would be a good time to send Jesus back because I'm sick of it. Or, uh, God, if these people aren't going to be saved anyway, just bring it on. Show them that I'm right and they're wrong. And sometimes in my tiredness, I do start to resent people. Uh, Yesterday at the men's conference, Luke Tattersall was saying he knows when he's overdoing it because he hates it when the telephone rings. He thinks... uh, he thinks, who's this idiot who's ringing me now? And Bay said, it was me ringing yesterday. <laughs> Do you ever start to resent people who won't listen, who won't change? I mean, I've not asked God to kill anyone like Jeremiah did, but, but I certainly have given up on some people who just stopped caring. Do you ever get tired of being a Christian? Does, does it make you want to want to cave in? Does it make you want to assimilate? Just be the same as everyone around you? Just be silent? Or do you ever get resentful towards God, resentful towards people? Do you ever just wish it had all stop? I don't think I'm alone, am I? Well, just a couple of things to say. A couple of things to say. First, we need to learn from what God says to Jeremiah. Especially that bit about the potter, I reckon, don't you? God is the potter. We are the clay. Very noisy bits of clay, but, but the reality is God has the right to judge. God has the right to save. This is God's world. He can do what he wants, when he wants. It's not up, uh, not up to us to give God advice. It's not up to us to say, I'm sick of it, so therefore end the entire world. It's up to us to do what we're told. Uh, what else has God to say to Jeremiah? I love the way he just reiterates his promises, doesn't he? He says again here exactly what he said right at the start in chapter 1. I am with you. I will deliver you. What you're saying will come true. As we saw back in chapter 1, we Christians have the same promises, don't we? Jesus promises to be with us to the very end of the age. God promises to finally deliver us. God promises that judgment and vindication will come. It may not look like it now, like it didn't do for 30 years in Jeremiah's ministry. It might not look like it, but God's promises will come true. He is with us. He will judge. He will deliver us. We've got to hang on to those promises. And what does God tell Jeremiah to do? He says press on. Keep repenting. Don't become like the people around you. Don't assimilate. Don't go silent. Keep on talking. God says, yeah, it's going to be hard. You against the world. But that's how it is. So to loosely quote him, suck it up, princess, and press on. We need to learn from what God says to Jeremiah here. But more than that, more than that, we need to look beyond Jeremiah. We need to look to God's ultimate prophet, don't we? To, to, this is the final point now. We need to look to Jesus. Because as we look at Jesus, we see a man who does press on. He suffers even more than Jeremiah, doesn't he? And yet, he still sticks with God's plan. He never gives up. He never tells God how to do it. It's never, all right, God, now is the time. No, no, even take it to the garden of Gethsemane. He's about to bear the sin of the world. And what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And he presses on. Even to bearing our sin in his body on the tree, even to facing the curse and judgment of God for us so we can be set free. He never tries to tell God what to do. He never stops. And he never, he never resents people either. I mean, he keeps on loving even his enemies. Sure, he's got harsh words of judgment, plenty of harsh words of judgment, but right to the end, it's always, it's always judgment with a real love and care. As he comes into Jerusalem that final time to meet the people who are going to nail him to a cross, what does he do? He, he, he weeps for them. He's not gloating, he's not vindictive. Even on that cross, what does he pray? I can't wait till they get it in the neck. Father, forgive them, 
Friends, I know we sometimes feel like Jeremiah. I know we sometimes get sick of it. But it's not right. So we've got to learn from what God says to Jeremiah. And we've got to follow Jesus' example. Press on. Trusting God's promises. Loving God. Just keeping that soft heart to people, even when they're stubborn. And just keeping going. Bravely standing out and standing up for Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that in Christ you have persevered to the end. Thank and praise you for him, our great high priest, who endured every temptation and yet did not sin, who endured every suffering and yet pressed on, even to death on a cross. We thank you so much for him. We pray that we, like Jeremiah, might learn to trust your promises and to keep submitting ourselves to you and loving you and loving people. We pray it in Jesus' name.